This is David Tarkington, lead pastor at First Family. Thank you for downloading this sermon. For more information about our church, go to firstfam.org or check out my blog at davidtarkington.com. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up. Turn to Matthew 28. Matthew 28. Tablet, Bible, phone, whatever you've got. Thank you, Jason. They'll be back in just a minute uh, at the close to close us out. There's, uh, there's more stories, there's more songs, and uh, uh, can't get them all in in one service, but we, we heard some others at Oak Harbor a few weeks ago that, uh, that add to what we've heard today already. It's been great. I met Jason and the, and the guys here in the band back in, uh, oh, earlier this year, we, uh, actually, I, I heard them first at, the, at a Florida Baptist Convention meeting, a state convention meeting. Uh, I think a year or two ago, maybe now, and then it was this summer at the State Board of Missions there at Lake Yale. They were uh, leading worship for us, uh, a bunch of pastors and State Board of Missions members there, and I went to them and I said, hey, this was back in the spring, I think, I said, do you have uh, two Sundays in October available? It just so happens you did. They were, they've been at Lake Yale this week, uh, and we're at Dade City. They were at Lake Yale for something, uh, uh, an event with the Florida Baptist Children's Homes, and you can hear his story, uh, how that connects with what the work we're doing at the children's homes and, and, and our, uh, our partnerships even with that. So it just, it was a perfect connection. They came in yesterday. We dragged them to a hockey game so they could uh, experience authentic Jacksonville life. Because now we're a hockey town as of about two weeks, right? So uh, no, we had a great time. I know they've had a, a, lot, a lot of time on the road. They're going to be heading home uh, this afternoon. So be praying for them. But uh, wow, just so honored to have you here. I know you've been blessed by hearing the story, but also by singing along and and worshiping with them this morning. So uh, you have your Bibles open. Let's get into this. Matthew 28, verse 18. You've heard this before. It says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. One of the most memorized verses in Scripture. Sometimes when we have most memorized verses, we sometimes can miss the meat that's in there as we just kind of run through it quickly to hear what it has to say. And uh, just looking at that and talking about teaching, there's, this is a passage about discipleship. This is a passage about authority. This is a passage about God's sovereignty. This is a passage about a command to do something. This is a passage about going and, and learning and, and teaching well, not just leading somebody through a prayer and leaving them. I mean, this is, this is walking the life with somebody, uh, an individual. This is about digging deeper into the Word. There's so much here. And I want to just touch on a little bit of that this morning. Last week, we were asked by our bank, as you're looking, thinking about you know, the business aspect of the church, we do have bank accounts. You can see our, 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 the infographic in the, in the bulletin of where we stand today. We're, we're about a week behind, still trying to catch up from Irma, but uh, we, are, we have been blessed beyond measure, truly, uh, for, this, for what God is doing through us here. And so we get a call from our bank. Our bank treats us well. We're happy to have them in that relationship, but they were asking for our mission statement. I said, oh, okay, our mission statement. So we go back to our bylaws and our, and our constitution and where it's all written in there. And there's a paragraph that explains who we are as a corporate entity. But, but ultimately, uh, it, it seems strange to me that here we are. We've been, a, we've been an, an organized legal church since 1921. And, uh, and now we're being asked for our mission statement. And, uh, and we haven't changed banks. Our banks have changed numerous times. Names, ownership, but we haven't changed, so we're the same. We still have the same account number, same relationship there. 
But this question about mission statement kind of reveals that they needed something on file or maybe a blank that needed to be filled out to help them ensure, which I think is viable, that we really are a church, that we really are who we say we are, and that we're on the up and up. And I guess that's because sometimes you're asked questions based on what others do, right? And, and, and I, I, some of you are bankers, you may know there's other reasons they're asking for this, but but I get it. There, we live in a day where new churches, quote-unquote churches, are being developed almost daily. Some are legitimate church plants and, and authentic evangelical works by God to, to reach people for the sake of the gospel. And those are the ones that we partner with as, as churches of, of like mind, like calling. That's why we're in a network together. That's why we're in the JBA, the Florida Baptist Convention. That's why we work with certain other churches in our region, our community, for the sake of gospel work. That's legitimate. And yet there are others that out there that have the name church that, you know, a garage band gets together and wants to record an album. They gather together and they want to be the next Hillsong, and so now they're a church, but they're really not a church. Or maybe there's somebody that, that um, you know, they kind of rent a building and they say, hey, we're going to start something, and they put a name on it and they call it church. And, and <clears throat> excuse me, there are even those that, that create their own churches for personal gain. They're not qualified to be pastors. They're not qualified to be leaders. There's absolutely no biblical uh, undergirding on what they're doing. But they're a church, and in our day and age, it's really easy to do that. So I can understand why our financial institutions are saying, are you legit? Are you really who you say you are? Are you really a church? My answer for the mission statement question was probably a little longer than they expected, but the, I'm trying to figure out how I can consolidate it, but it's basically our mission statement is Matthew 28, 19 through 20, and Matthew 22, 36 through 40. The Great Commission and the Great Commandment. I don't believe we have the permission to redefine why we exist, because I think Christ already defined why we exist. I don't think we can pick another mission. It's mandated. And it's mandated from the only one, based on that passage, who has the authority to mandate it. Now, we've, we've turned them into banners, love God, love people, make disciples. I mean, that's probably as simple as you can get from the great commandment and the great commission of why we exist. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Make disciples if you want to encapsulate the great commission. It's there. And as we gather today, as one church... Uh, one service of worship, answering the question, what are we doing and why? I've had the question this morning, why are we doing this? Why didn't we have Sunday school? Why? Some people saw that it was one service and there was no Sunday school, and this became a great Disney option for them today. This is the one time we come all together, and we have the opportunity and the great privilege of gathering as brothers and sisters in Christ, not forsaking the gathering of the church for one purpose, for one goal, as one family. And I hope we don't miss this because this is an annual event for us. This is an annual gathering for us. And, and, and we need to see the, how special and how precious this moment is because I know how human nature is. We look at our calendars, we look ahead, and we say, if I don't have to be a certain place, I may not be there. I used to joke about it when I was a youth pastor. Whenever we do a youth event, youth camp, disciple now, we would always have three people that sign up until three minutes before the deadline. And three people sign up, and then everybody else is asking the very same question. Who else is going? So everybody determines what they're going to do based on what everybody else is doing. And so I'm telling you, why don't we just start determining what we're going to do based on what God has told us to do, and let's come together, let's worship him together as we have already, and we'll continue to. So here we are today. It's kind of, a, I gotta be honest, it's a day I've been looking forward to ever since uh, last year. 
It's a day I've been looking forward to ever since Jason and the guy said, yeah, we'll be there. I'm like, okay, this is gonna be, I'm really, how can we work all this together? What do we do with these other campuses? How do we make this work? I said, we just all need to come together today. So I've been looking forward to it today. And that's not just because I only preach once today instead of three times. You'd probably wish I went three times because by the third time, it's a lot better than the first time. I'm just telling you, I kind of work it out. So this is the one-time shot right here. But I have been looking forward to this in so many ways. Now let's talk about who we are as a church. First Baptist Church was launched. It's odd. I don't know why this sticks in my head is just weird, but we're the only church I know that was launched and started as a children's Bible study. We were started by Miss Carrie Clark on a porch in her house across the street, 1919, as a Bible study for children. And then on May 1st, 1921, there's more history than I need to get into, but on May 1st, 1921, First Baptist Church of Orange Park held its first worship service as a, an organized, official, legal, uh, binding church. Time out. ADD, I'm not centered. Now I am. Um, so, I'm, <laughs> everything's good now. So, uh, so we held our first service on May 1st, 1921, and, uh, in, in, our, in an old school building. But I would say this, and I don't know if this may not be news to you, but a lot has changed in Orange Park since 1921, all right? Some of you were here, most of you were not. I don't know how many of you were actually here in 1921, and those of you that may have been here in 1921 may not remember as much about it uh, as others, but it is, uh, it's been a lot of change in 1921. Did you know a little history of Orange Park? At one time in the history of Orange Park, Orange Park was known as the city with the largest city sign in the nation. Hollywood had nothing on us. We had a sign right out here on the river. It said Orange Park. It was, it was uh, I found this in, the, in research, 200 feet long and 15 feet high. It said Orange Park. We wanted to make sure that everybody on the river trying to get to Mandarin didn't go there. <laughs> that they came here. We had the largest sign in the, in the nation, in the nation. Amazing. Didn't know if you knew that. You come to church, you learn useless stuff in case you're on Jeopardy. So we have that going for us. And I found these pictures, and I may have shown them to you before, but we're on Kingsley Avenue right out here, so you probably came down Kingsley. Here's a picture of Kingsley Avenue not that long ago. So, um, (laughs) all right, let me just say, if you pulled in and you come here and go, man, this church is weird, you park on the grass. We, you know, we used to drive on it too. Uh, That's Kingsley. There's another one, I think. We have another one up there? I think we had two. Yeah, there's a good one. It's kind of pretty. I don't know who Darling Father is, if that's written to, but... That's looking down Kingsley Avenue. Um, since Irma, those trees aren't here. Um, and neither are their babies, I don't think. So uh, it's just memories. But so when you look at these pictures and you say, yeah, a lot has changed in Orange Park since First Baptist Church of Orange Park was started. But let me tell you what has not changed. Let me tell you what has not changed. What hasn't changed is what birthed the need for this church in the beginning of the early 1900s anyway. Back in the 1920s, there weren't nearly as many people living in Clay County or living in Orange Park, but there were quite a few people that lived in Orange Park who did not know Jesus Christ. In 1920, that became a reason for a church needing to be here in Orange Park, because there were people that unless somebody told them about something different, their eternal destination would not be with God, they were never going to be good enough to go to heaven because no one is, and there were lost people living in Orange Park in the 1920s. 
And in 2017, there are a lot more people in Orange Park and we would say surrounding neighborhoods, down to Fleming Island, to Oak Leaf, to Doctors Inlet, Middleburg, and everywhere around and in between. There are many, many more people in our community, and there are many, many of those people who do not know Jesus Christ. They are going to live this life on earth without a relationship with Jesus Christ, with no hope, with no answer. And we look at that, and we look at how it used to be, and we look at how it is now, and we say, yeah, but now there are a lot more churches. I've been here for 24 years. When I moved here, we didn't have but maybe three or four high schools. Now we've got six, seven high schools or something like that. We've got charter schools. We've got high schools. We've got more elementary schools. We used to have just a, 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 a handful of churches that, that we can name. Now we've got churches everywhere. So people say, well, you've got all these churches, and a new one's popping up, and this one's popping up, and this one's cool, and this one's rad, and this one's meeting this time, that time, and everywhere else. Surely the lostness of our county is less than it was 24 years ago, but I think it's increased. Having more buildings does not mean that we're reaching more people, especially if the mission is forgotten. There are more churches around. There are some really solid churches that we can call partners in ministry. And yet there are others who are gathering just basically gatherings of people who actually have buildings and they put the name church on their organization, but they're, they're far from a church. There are also some older fellowships in our community who chose at some point in their existence to stay sequestered from everything out in the world, out of fear usually. They have sequestered themselves away and they wonder why nobody comes anymore, but they like what they've got, but they're realizing quickly that that which they have is really for just a handful of people because there are more uh, pews than people, more seats than people, and it's not pack a pew night, it's find a pew because you get your whole section, there's hardly anybody there. Sequestered Christianity, holy huddles is not God-honoring. And when churches decide it's all about me, we do things the way we want to, and we close our eyes to those that God has called us to reach. And we wonder, usually too late, why it is the way it is. Some cases, why that's happened, it's a lack of missional vision. In other cases, it's a lack of biblical doctrine. And may I say that if there is an organization with the name Church on the Sign that has bad biblical doctrine, then it is good for them to shut down. For that does more harm for the case of Christ than good. That being said, we're still here, and our existence since 1921 has ebbed and flowed, and if you're a scorecard person, it ebbs and flows based on finances. It ebbs and flows based on attendance, on size of the youth group, on size of the children's ministry, on the size of the seniors. We are scorecard people by nature because we can't help it. We were born in the West, so we're always scoring things, we're grading things, and usually it's always comparative in nature. We can be doing poorly, but as long as we're doing better than the other guy doing poorly, we feel okay. But yet we do have some great stories. We have great chapters in the history of First Baptist Orange Park. There are some things where you, you can't explain it apart from God. There are moments in our history that are amazing, spiritual, uh, you might even say revival awakening type moments that have taken place. There are some of you in this room today, evidenced by what we just saw earlier today, that came to know Jesus Christ and began your life eternally here as a part of First Baptist Orange Park. God brought you here for his glory and for his reason and for, and for all of that. He brought you here for your good. And that's a great story. We also must be honest. 
that just like every human story has good chapters and bad chapters, First Baptist Orange Park has chapters we don't revisit unless we have to. Just like every church that exists. Yeah, that was a dark time. That wasn't a great time. Oh, yeah, we don't want to talk about that. That's not today. We can look back, and we can remember the great things. We can remember stories of prayer meetings where God's people humbled themselves. We can look back and remember baptisms. We can look back just about an hour and remember baptisms. We can look back and remember baby dedications. I've I, I got to tell you, these kids that we were baptizing today, we don't run children through the water just to get our numbers up. We've got to make sure, it, you know, they go through a pretty intense Q&A and discipling time, and if it's understood, I mean, if, if, if we miss it and God's got them and they're truly saved, they're still good. But if we miss it and they're not saved, they're going to go through their life hoping, thinking they're saved because they prayed a prayer and they got dunked in water like many adults in churches today who have a false sense of, of salvation based on something they did. Here it is, time out. If you're saved because you did something, you're probably not saved. Salvation is what Christ did. It's what he did. And our humbling ourselves and receiving that, that's where salvation is and his drawing us to himself. But we look at this and we remember these, these parties, we remember mission trips, we reminisce, life-changing camps and events. We can look back, we can laugh, we can cry maybe, and be in awe. I am in awe that in spite of ourselves, God has had his hand upon us and has worked through us and maybe even around us at times for his glory and for our good. Now we can do that and we have done that. But just in case you didn't miss it, or you didn't catch it. This is not a homecoming service. Homecomings are wonderful, but that's not what this is. This is not a homecoming where we invite everybody that used to be members to come back. This is, we're not, there is no homecoming queen. There are no flowers being handed out. This is not a who's been a member the longest moment. This is not a homecoming. It's not necessarily a walk down memory lane for the sake of sharing old photographs, though I even put some on the screen. It's not about reminiscing the good old days. And don't get me wrong, there are times, and we do need to remember, because even in Scripture it says, don't forget those that have gone before. Don't forget what you've gone through. Don't remember what I've done for you. There is value in learning from the past. If you don't, you tend to repeat even the bad things. God's people were commanded to remember all that God had done for them and through them on many occasions. When Joshua was commanded to lead the people of Israel over the Jordan River, much like what, what Moses did when they went over the Red Sea, what, what happened there, Joshua was told by God to take 12 men from his people, one from each tribe, go into the midst of the riverbed where they had crossed and the land was, was there dry, take a stone out of the riverbed and take it back to them to their camp and then set up a memorial. Why? So that every time their children and their grandchildren saw that pile of rocks, they would say, uh, Mama, tell us about those rocks. Did I say that right, Jason? Is it Mama, Mima, Peepaw, Poopaw, whatever kids name their grandkids. I mean, just kind of go there. They would say, tell us why those rocks are there. And they were to tell them of all that God had done. They were to tell them of God's great love and God's great deliverance. So there is value in remembering in God's church memorials, I remember there was a church down the street when I grew up. It was a, we were on Davis Boulevard, and this was Davis Memorial Church. It was a different denomination. We had one event there we went to for the school. I remember going in there, and I think every pew, every sign, every, everything had a little metal thing on it that said, this seat is in memory of so-and-so. This seat is in memory of so That's how they funded their church. Uh, you know, you had a plaque on everything, which means that if you ever change the carpet, somebody's mad. If you ever move a chair, somebody's mad. You took grandma's chair. So you can't, you don't memorialize things 
in the church in that way, you remember things and memorials in the church are designed to focus on Christ and his greatness. So we do look back, but at the same time, we are not to continue, uh, we cannot continue moving forward as a church while staring in the rearview mirror. That's a challenging concept because, to be honest, it's easier to look backward. It's easier, I mean, uh, history classes exist for this reason. The older we get, the more prone we are to backward views. Maybe this is due to feeling overwhelmed with the current status of our world. Maybe it's due to a desire to go back to what we like to call the good old days. Maybe it's a hope for simpler times. I've heard people say, man, it was so much simpler back then. The fact of the matter is it wasn't. You just didn't have a smartphone. You didn't know everybody else's stuff. And and the reality is that the days weren't simpler. We were. We were younger and we were more naive. And we didn't have to worry about that. We were worried about that quiz in second period, not the mortgage. You know, so those things maybe, maybe give us a, 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 a blurry view of the past. In Isaiah 43, 19, however, while we must be careful never to pull a text out of context, there is a promising word from God to his people about the days ahead. It's a messianic prophecy, and his word was them that they needed to trust him today so that they would know him and know what is to come. Here's what God says in Isaiah 43, 19. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. It is a prophetic word to the people of Israel with overtones of the Messiah. It's a promise. It's a, it's a look forward. It's a, hey, I know we've got some stuff in the past. Don't forget it. But behold, I'm doing something new as well. Let me tell you what this is not. This is not a vision statement for a church. This is not some, some dumbed-down uh, uh, verse to put on a T-shirt sometime. I've heard people do this, and I've heard people use this verse as a, some kind of mantra for self-awareness and motivation for winning the day. That's not what this is about. This is a verse that, taken with all the others, reminds us of the authority and power of God and the workings in and through his people for his glory. So back to our mission statement, Matthew 28, as I was reading earlier. Jesus is commissioning his church, his followers. These are, uh, at the time, that group of disciples and a few others with him, and ultimately, through time, us. It's the same message for us today. And he begins with this phrase that is often skipped in our reciting of memorized verses. He begins with this phrase that says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That ought to, we ought to just pause on that for just a moment because this is a statement of authority and it must never be ignored. At this point, this when Jesus says, all authority has been given in heaven and on earth, the disciples listening to him paused in their, wherever they were standing, wherever they were seated, and this means, you better listen up, boys, it's all on me. The Father is the giver of the authority and in this Trinitarian relationship with his Son, he gives Jesus all authority. Here's what was not happening. There was no business meeting. They didn't gather to vote on it. There was no motion second, no discussion. Authority was bestowed and is bestowed and remains bestowed on the Son. And this statement about authority sets up everything else that Jesus says. 
And I find it odd that, that when we memorize verses, that statement about authority is ignored while we memorize the rest of it. All authority has been given to me. Now, get this. Imagine standing there when Jesus says this. Regard, let me just say, regardless of what Jesus says next, they better get it. I mean, if Jesus throws out some, all authority has been given to me, I want everyone to climb a tree. They better climb a tree. There's no other authority. I want everyone to go over here. Everybody better go. He's got the power. He says, it's all on me. And he is laying down a heavy word upon them. I have all the authority, and here's why. Because the Father gave it to me. And on this declaration, once it's made loudly and clearly, he then tells us through his disciples as he tells them, as he tells his church, as he tells all his followers, what we are to do. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. And we understand what that word go actually means. In the original, it means as you go. As you're going, make disciples. Which means this. The church that is stagnant, the Christians that are stagnant are in disobedience. We have no permission to remain still. We have no permission to stay in a holy huddle. We have no permission to just build our church and stay comfortable. As we go, we are to be obedient to him. And to be obedient means you better be going. He didn't say this. Go, therefore, are you guys okay with that? Are you okay with going, right? Can we vote on that, majority? He didn't say that. He didn't say, go, therefore, if there's nothing else to do. He didn't say, go, therefore, unless it's a three-day weekend. He didn't say, go, therefore, but, you know, you can, you can avoid the gathering of the church and just ignores parts that are upsetting to you. He said, go and go all in. And do what? Again, if you're going to talk about what are the most forgotten parts of the passage, these two words, other than the intro part, are probably the most forgotten two words in this. I was questioned a while back why we put make disciples on a banner because make disciples doesn't sound very uh, uh, friendly to unchurched people because that, that banner is not for unchurched people. That's for you and for me. And that is our command. We are to go and do what? Make disciples. And this is probably the biggest challenge as I read about church health, as I read about church planting, as I read about mission movements, as I read about missionaries who go in, plant churches, and leave, and those that go in and stay, and, and living incarnationally among people. As I read about church revitalization, how do you wake up the sleeping giant? How do you put blood back into something, get the heart beating again? I look at this, and this is the challenge for, that we are facing today. This is the challenge we face today as we gather as all of our campuses together and barely have more than we have when we don't gather together. This is our challenge today. We fall into the trap of believing this, I think. That the next program or the next event or the next thing that we do or the, is what we exist for. We put something on a calendar and go, there it is. This program, this is it. We are looking for the silver bullet or the secret sauce that's going to fix everything. That's a church strategy meeting. I've been in meetings with enough pastors to know as we sit around the table and as we sit in rooms, I hear, man, well, we're trying this. Or what do you? I'll sit with pastors who are just dying in churches that are dying as they're trying and trying and praying and praying and we'll talk and they'll go, well, what are you doing? And what are they looking for? They're looking for what every pastor in a church that's barely moving is doing. They're looking for the secret sauce. They're looking for the silver bullet. They're looking for, can we just, can we go to Lifeway and buy that? Can we start this new class? Is it another evangelism strategy? If we had a cooler logo, 
What if we changed our music style? What if we changed our preaching style? What if we changed our times? What if we did this? Is it working for you? I mean, you got this whole philosophy. We need to find churches that are doing things, find out what's working and copying them. Well, that's worked great for us so far. Sarcastically said, quote unquote. No. We need to go back to the word of God and look at the one command we've been given and confess the fact that we're not doing it. I'm not doing it. And because that's not being done well, we must confess, repent, and seek the face of the Lord. When we think about our campuses and our church plants that we partner with, you can see that information in the bulletin. We have campuses, we have church planters, we are partnering with them. But, but, but let me help you understand something here. I believe in what we're doing in those areas of mission work. I believe it or we wouldn't be doing it. But there is absolutely no command in Scripture that says go plant a church. And yet I think sometimes mission agencies and church strategies and, and the latest thing and the gimmick and the conferences will, will accidentally, I don't know that it's intentionally, will accidentally lead us into believing that the command from the gospel is to plant a church. That's not the command. You're not going to find the command to plant a church. You're not going to find the command to go, go add a campus or add a service. That's not the command. There is a command, however. And that command is make disciples. That's it. Here's something to just chew on for a little bit. I'm sitting in Wales with our missionary over there and we're talking and he says, here's what I've come to realize. Our goal is to make disciples who make disciples. If you make disciples who make disciples, a church will result. But if your focus is on planting a church campus alone, you probably won't have disciples. Disciples are not the natural outgrowth of a new church. Disciples are not the, you don't drift towards this. This is intentional. But if you make disciples, God often blesses with new services, new campuses, new missions, new plants for the glory of God and for the sake of the people that need it there incarnationally. Why are we putting a campus in Fleming Island? Why are we putting one in Creek? Why do we have the partnership at Oak Harbor? Because there is an incarnation, incarnation of being in the community where the people are with the gospel, living and doing life for them for the sake of the Father, for the sake of Christ, for the sake of the gospel, so that more may know him. I've, I've learned this the hard way, as you probably have. Lost people don't give a rip about what's happening in the church. They don't listen to our music, they don't like our stories, and they don't think we're cool anyway. So why in the world would a lost person think, man, I really need to go to church? Unless the church doesn't look like a church. But it's the Holy Spirit who draws people. It's the Holy, Holy Spirit who draws others. And what amazes me is, in spite of ourselves, he uses us. The command is clear. Disciples making disciples. And that is the state, I think, of the American mission. The American church is all about growth and planting. And if we're not careful, we're going to plant, we're going to grow, we're going to add, but we're not going to be making disciples. So we struggle with this as a denomination. We struggle with this as the evangelical church. We struggle with it in the Western church. The Southern church, globally, the Southern church, and that doesn't mean Alabama, Mississippi, Florida, Georgia. The Southern church is Latin America, South America, and Africa. The Southern church is growing while the Western church is dying. And we've got to recognize what God is doing globally, not just what he's doing right here. 
I believe God has left First Baptist Orange Park in Orange Park as a church, as a viable church, as a light in a dark place, as an intentional place that says, we're going we're gonna to go where others don't want to go. We're going to put campuses where other churches don't put campuses. Why are we putting campuses where we are? Why would anybody put a campus where we are? There ain't no money down there. Oh, did I just say that out loud and it get recorded? Because we don't go to reach people for the sake of our budget. We go to the people that others don't want to go to. And we go to the people that God died for. Because this message is that important. The gathered church on mission is a result of disciple making, not the other way around. And I think if we would but trust Christ in this, since he is the one, by the way, I found out he's the only one with the authority. So let's trust him in this. He's therefore the only one that has permission to write the mission statement. Let's trust him in this. I believe this is a reality as we fall on our faces before him, as we trust him, as we repent of of missing the disciple-making command perhaps, and I have to repent of this personally, not just corporately, personally, investing, walking. There are no microwave Christians. It is a long crock-pot kind of life. You've got to walk with people for a long time. And it's really, really, really difficult to make what you are not. You're commanded to make disciples. I'm commanded to make disciples. I must first be a disciple. Baptism is commanded, but not after the making of disciples. The mission remains, and I look forward to what God has called us to do. I have no idea where we're headed fully. I just know we're obedient today. We evaluate, and people say, I don't know why we got all those other campuses. Well, it's a simple answer, and it, and, it, and it doesn't make sense financially, and it doesn't make sense logically, but the simple answer is this, obedience. Obedience to the call. Because I want to do whatever we are here to do, I want to do whatever we can while we're here to see more people know Jesus. Because I believe we will be held accountable if we are not telling them. Programs and events are not the problem. They're just a means to an end and a way to help us do what we've been commanded to do, and that is make disciples. Now, you look at this and go, man, that's kind of a guilt thing. I don't look at it as guilt. I look at it as very relieving. You know what makes it very relieving to me? You know what makes it very peaceful to me? Is that I don't have to come up with some idea that's going to work. God does all the heavy lifting. He's done all the work. I don't have to be come up with the gimmick that's going to draw people in because the Holy Spirit is the one that draws people to himself. The gospel never changes. But I believe we, we must look at ways to engage people with that gospel. Sitting in a holy huddle is not going to do it. We've got to look forward and we've got to trust him when the days ahead ahead of us. Some of you have been here a long, long time and we've had these conversations. And I'll say this and you can figure out what it means. It is a miracle that we're still here with the bad chapters we went through decades ago. Thank God there was no internet back then. But God, in his grace, kept his hand on this church, brought godly men and women to this place as his children, And through those dark days, he brought us through. And that was years before I ever showed up. And they didn't tell me all the history when they hired me. Amazing 
But I learned it over the years, and I thought, this is pretty amazing. Because I know churches that didn't survive things like that. And all I can say is to God be the glory. And I believe with all my heart, I believe our future is, is, is going to be more incredible than our past. I'll drive this as long as God leaves me here. But, I, I, you know, I'm just one. Like I said, there's a pastor's brick out there in that patio. And every pastor that's ever pastored here gets a brick. I'm a brick. I'm a blockhead and I'm a brick. And one of these days, there's going to be another brick with some other name in there of some other man that's going to lead this and shepherd this church. So I'm here for a season. And while I'm here for this season, I want to be obedient to what God's calling us to do. I believe this. There's a reason the front windshield is larger than the rearview mirror. The rearview mirror is valuable because you need to see what's behind you, especially if you're backing up. But the front windshield is bigger to remind us we've got to keep moving forward. I pray that you, you get this. It's kind of a weird message for today. It's kind of a break in what we're doing. It's just a reminder of why we do what we do. And a challenge. Remembering that God did not call us to make church members or Sunday school members, but disciples.